commentators called it OJ number two. Time magazine dubbed it the social media trial of the century. Nancy Grace called it the Totmon case. The trial itself generated extensive media coverage, generated massive ratings for CNN and other cable news networks. The New York Post described it as a newsworthy case that mushroomed into one of the biggest rating draws in recent memory. Fistfights broke out among people trying to crowd into the small courtroom in Orlando, Florida, trying to claim one of the 50 available seats. What was it that transformed a local, unremarkable missing persons case into such a mass media event? Undoubtedly, it was the cast of characters. It started with what seemed to be a rather normal, unremarkable family in Orlando, Florida. But as the investigation proceeded, this seemingly normal family exhibited a web of complex relationships that intrigued the public. A middle-class mother who offered love and support for her daughter. But did she really? A father who went on television to implore people to help him search for his missing granddaughter. A father who publicly proclaimed the innocence of his accused daughter, but who may, or may not, have been the perpetrator himself. Who may, or may not, have been involved in an extramarital affair and actually told his lover that his daughter was in fact the murderer. And finally, there was Casey Anthony herself, the mother, the attractive party girl who accused her own father of murdering her daughter and of sexually abusing her. But at the center of it all, what makes this case so heartbreaking was a smiling, brown-haired three-year-old whose life was cut tragically short. Was it murder or a tragic accident? You decide as you sip a snow-white poison appletini and consider the case of Casey Anthony. On July 15, 2008, Cindy Anthony called the police and filed a missing persons report on her almost three-year-old granddaughter, Kaylee. She told the police that she had last seen Kaylee on June 14th when she left home with her mother and Cindy's daughter, Casey. She told detectives that she had repeatedly asked her daughter about Kaylee and Casey gave her a number of explanations about her whereabouts. She also told the police that she located Casey's car and it smelled like a dead body was decomposing inside it. When police finally found Casey, she told them that Kaylee had been kidnapped by a nanny and that she had been trying to find her. She said she was too afraid to call the police. On July 15th, Casey was arrested and charged with child neglect, making false statements to law enforcement, 
and obstruction of a criminal investigation. Her bond was set at $500,000. And after being held in jail for almost a month, a nephew of a local bail bondsman posted bail. He said that he hoped Casey would show her gratitude by cooperating in the search for little Kaylee. Casey was offered immunity if she would give the police information about Kaylee. But on October 14th, 2008, a grand jury indicted her for first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four counts of lying to police officers. She pleaded not guilty to all charges. The judge revoked her bond. A meter reader called the police in August, telling them that he found a suspicious object in a wooded area near the Anthony home. The police searched the area twice. The first time they came up with nothing, but in November, they discovered the remains of a small child in a garbage bag. There was duct tape attached to the child's skull. A medical examiner confirmed that the remains were Kaylee's, and she ruled the death a homicide, but also said that she could not determine the cause of death. The prosecutors decided to seek the death penalty. The trial began on May 24, 2011, after an 11 day jury selection process. Because of the notoriety of the case in Orlando, the jurors were chosen from a nearby county. Then they were bused to Orlando. They were told the trial would take up to six weeks and that they would be sequestered in a local hotel. The trial began. Each side laid out their theory of the case in their opening statements. The prosecutors told the jury that Casey intentionally murdered her toddler. They said she first used chloroform to put her to sleep, then placed duct tape over her mouth and nose to suffocate her. They said she kept Kaylee's body in her car for several days before putting in her garbage bag and dumping her in the woods. The motive? It was simple, the prosecutor stated. Casey was a party girl and taking care of a toddler was cramping her style. She wanted her freedom back. Casey's defense attorney, Jose Baez, painted a much different picture for the jury. Kaylee's death was a tragic accident, he told them. She had gotten out of the back door of the house one day and fell into the swimming pool. She drowned. Casey's father, George Anthony, found the little girl's body and panicked. He told Casey that she would be charged with child neglect and spend the rest of her life in prison. It was imperative, he said, that she just go on with her life and pretend nothing was wrong. How could a mother do that, the jurors must have wondered. It was easy for Casey, her attorney said. It was a habit of self-protection that she had developed early in her young life, pretending everything was normal, pretending nothing was wrong. She had to act that way. Otherwise, 
people would know the terrible truth about her and her family. Their reputations would be shattered, their lives ruined. Because, you see, Baez told the jury, Casey had been covering up for someone for more than 10 years. She had been hiding the fact that her own father, George Anthony, had been sexually abusing her since she was eight years old. Then, Baez turned to the meter reader who said he found little Kaylee's body. His name was Ray Cronk. It was entirely possible, Baez told the jury, that Croc wanted to be famous, that he actually discovered the body somewhere else and moved it near the Anthony home, thinking he would be hailed as a hero and would be the star witness of what would be a spectacular media-frenzied trial. And finally, Baez called into question the whole investigation. The police, he said, seemed more interested in staying in the media spotlight than investigating what really happened. A tragic, but rather unsensational, accidental drowning. But what of the statements that Kaylee had been with her nanny? That was a lie, Baez admitted. Casey had heard this name and just added it to her story. She was so afraid and so ashamed. The prosecutor's first witnesses were Casey's parents. George Anthony vehemently denied that he had ever sexually abused Casey. He also testified that he didn't smell anything resembling human decomposition in Casey's car when she visited him on June 24th. Cindy Anthony, the mom, testified that when she called 911 and told the operator that Casey's car smelled like someone had died, well, that was just a figure of speech. It turned out, she said, it was just a sack of garbage that had been placed in the trunk. Then the state called one of Casey's old boyfriends and questioned him about a post they found on his MySpace page. The caption read, win her over with chloroform. He testified that he had never discussed chloroform with his ex-girlfriend, and he had never searched for it on her computer. Then the state called one of its expert witnesses, a former Canadian detective named John Bradley, who had examined a computer taken from the Anthony home. He told the jury that he had discovered that someone had searched a website using the word chloroform 84 times during a four-day period in March 2008. When Baez cross-examined him, he admitted that there were multiple accounts on the computer, and he could not determine who actually performed the searches. Later, toward the end of the trial, Bradley went to prosecutors and said that he had made a mistake and that the word chloroform had actually been searched for only once. But the jury never heard about this. Police canine officers testified that their dogs had examined Casey's car and the Anthony home and found a high probability of human decomposition. But on a second visit to the home, the dogs came up empty. 
The medical examiner who called Kaylee's death a homicide testified that she based her opinion not only on the examination of the body, but on what she had been told by police. Specifically, that the child had not been reported missing. She said whenever a child is injured and not reported missing, that usually means foul play. She also considered that there was duct tape on the skull, as well as the fact that chloroform had been found in the car. All of these things led her to proclaim Kaylee had, in fact, been murdered. A professor from the University of Florida testified about a video he had produced that showed how the duct tape could have been placed on Kaylee's skull. And then that picture morphed into a picture of Kaylee herself standing next to her mother. He gave his opinion that the duct tape was placed on Kaylee's face before her body began to decompose. A fingerprint expert from the FBI said that she did not find any latent fingerprints on the duct tape, but that since the body had been found outside for a period of months, she really didn't expect to find any fingerprints. Then it was the defense's turn. They presented their own experts. One testified that the placement of the duct tape was unclear. It might have been placed before she died or attached there later. Casey's mother testified that when their family pets died, the family's practice was to put them in plastic bags and seal them with duct tape before burying them. The clear implication being that this is what happened to Kaylee. The tape had been on the bag, then slipped off and attached itself to her hair and skull as her body decomposed. Another defense expert testified that the autopsy was shoddy. And that after he, the expert, did a second autopsy, he would not have been comfortable ruling it a homicide. One reason, he said, was if the duct tape had been placed on the body before it decomposed, it should have had traces of DNA. He said, frankly, that he thought the pictures had been faked. Casey's attorney said, so you're telling me that someone in the medical examiner's office found the tape, and put it on her skull while they were doing the autopsy. The expert said, well, it wouldn't be the first time, sir. I can tell you that. In a salacious twist, the defense called a woman who said that she had an affair with George Anthony and that he told her it was just an accident gone wrong Casey had tried to cover up. She said he didn't tell her how the death happened, but that he had told her early on while he was going on television proclaiming that that Kaylee was missing and that he hoped and prayed she would be found, that in fact he told her privately that Kaylee was dead. George denied that he had the affair. He denied these conversations, but he admitted that he knew the woman. And when confronted with records that showed he had sent several texts in this time frame, he said he had been texting all of the people he knew, just looking for their support. Both sides presented emotional closing arguments. 
And on July 5th, the jury returned its verdict. Count one, first degree murder, not guilty. Count two, aggravated manslaughter of a child, not guilty. Count three, aggravated child abuse, not guilty. Counts four through seven, providing false information to law enforcement, guilty, 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 guilty. Two days later, Casey was sentenced to one year in prison for giving false information. And she was fined $4,000. She was given credit for time served and released that day. Later, the judge ordered her to pay $217,000 to the state agencies that had searched for Kaylee based on the false information that Casey had given them. She later filed bankruptcy. To this day, people debate this case. What happened to little Kaylee Anthony? Was it an accident? Or did Casey Anthony or someone else get away with murder? Thank you, Dad. This is such a famous case. Like, I, I mean, I know I was, I was probably, it was 2008. Mm-hmm. So I was like 14, but I obviously wasn't like keeping up with true crime back then. But so I don't really remember it going on. That was back when you had a life. Exactly. <laughs> back when I had friends alive, you know. <laughs> Do you remember when this was going on? Oh, yeah. Now, I never I never watched any of the trial. Uh-huh. But every night on the news, it was just recapped. And, and there was this... Uh, there was this uh, TV show, and it, it had a, a woman host. She was an attorney, I think. She was. She was an attorney. Her name was Nancy Grace. Mm-hmm. Is she still on? I don't know if she's still on, but I've, we've, I've come across her doing research for our podcast a lot. Let's see. Oh, she she was she, just she all was over this thing. And she she was certain that, that, that Casey Anthony was as guilty as the day is long. And she came up with the nickname Tot Mom. And um, I mean, every day it was, it was playing outtakes from the trial with her giving commentary about how this person was lying and the defense attorney was sleazy and just on and on. So it was all over the news for, for, a, good, for a good month. You, you couldn't turn on the news without hearing about Casey Anthony. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of like today, you can't turn on the news without hearing about Gabby. Well, and that's what I was just going to say. I looked up Nancy Grace, and she is commenting a lot on the Gabby Petito case. Mm -hmm. So she's still doing her thing. Yeah. I know that uh, Saturday Night Live has done a, they've done quite a few, uh, quite a few parodies of Nancy Grace over the years. (laughs) Who, Who played her? Do you know? Oh, I, you know, I mean, it, it's been going on so long, various, various uh, people. I can't remember the last time I saw it, but I, I could certainly see. I uh, 
Kate McKinnon, I bet. I could certainly see Kate doing her really, really well. Uh That's funny. Well, we'll come back to chatting about the case, but first, I have a pretty short and sweet Trends of the Crime section. This is the part of our show where we talk about fashion that was in vogue at the time of the crime. And we all know by now I love the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was young, so I didn't get to go out clubbing at this time. (laughs) But if I did, this is what I would have worn. And I chose this subject because because Casey was such a partier. So I thought she'd be going to clubs and parties. So things that you would wear going clubbing in the early 2000s are a clingy mini dress was like really short okay i like that (laughs) a tunic with jeans i did wear that to school and i was Mm -hmm. on top of the trends i would never Mm -hmm. wear it again but well i've learned to never say never because i just bought crocs so Mm -hmm. i can't (laughs) say never anymore army pants and tank tops do you remember do you remember mean girls when when she goes i saw regina george wearing army pants and flip-flops So I bought army pants and flip-flops. No, I don't remember that. Well, it's a great movie. Maybe you should watch it again. Thank goodness I don't remember it, but go (laughs) on. Please do. Well, for those of you who were quoting that with me, thank you. I love you. Oversized hoop earrings. Those are back in. Striped flare jeans. I remember those. I I, I had some striped flare jeans back in 1974 when I was in high school. Fashion is cyclical, you know? A denim skirt with with a graphic tee. Pretty basic. That'll that'll work. I probably wouldn't wear that to a club, but whatever. What do I know? I was only like six. So Um, let's see. Denim. Oh, I just said that. Cropped sweater. Those are back. Like a cropped Mm -hmm. cardigan. Yeah. Gaucho pants. I wore those I wore the heck out of those but not not cute off the shoulder tops those never really go those never really go out of style and slouchy halter tops with choppy skirts so Hmm. for those of you who care a choppy skirt is the skirt that looked like you know a shark took a bite out of it Uh those used to be popular Um, okay yeah that's all I got well, once again, once again, I'm detecting just a, a fair amount of sexism here. I don't, what were uh, Casey's Anthony's boy toys wearing during this time? Do you have any idea? Oh, I do. I bet they were wearing a lot of Ed Hardy, a lot of uh, what's, Fox. Is that what it was called? Uh, like DC, but Ed Hardy was everywhere. Do you know what Ed Hardy is? See, I, I have no idea what what you've just said. It's it's as if you're it's as if you're speaking Ukrainian right now. So they're names of brands. Ed okay. Hardy is the one. He had like the he had hats and like bejeweled um, tops and patterns, bejeweled jeans for men. Mm-hmm. So and also those trucker hats. What's that brand? Von Dutch trucker trucker hats. Girls and boys wore those. Hmm. And and the men's jeans, they weren't like today. They weren't even remotely fitted. It was like that line in Clueless kind of a, what did she say? Um, these guys just roll out of bed, 
throw on a hat and we're expected to swoon uh, as if <laughs> something like that. That's how they looked. That was 95, but close enough. Okay. All right. Yep. There was clubbing in the early 2000s. Let us know if you went clubbing in the early 2000s and let us know what you wore. I'd love to know. I'd like to know that too. <laughs> I was, uh, that was way, that was way beyond, that was way after my time when I would have clubbed. Mm -hmm. You were busy being a dad. That's right. <laughs> I did such a wonderful job. You did it. Wow. Look at me. Wow. Perfection. Mm -hmm. Tell us about uh, this cocktail. I, I'm excited to hear about it. Well, I mean, this, this thing is set in Orlando, and we all know Orlando is the home of Disney, Disney World. World. So I thought, well, surely there are some Disney-themed cocktails out there, and I found a number of them, but the one that stood out to me was Snow White's Poisonous Appletini. And this seems like a take on a on a Cape Cod, which we did, I think, last season, mm -hmm. which is just vodka and cranberry juice. Um, that is a Cape Cod, right? I think so. Yeah, well, in this one, we've got vodka and cranberry juice, primarily. A um, bit of lemon juice to give it some sour. And uh, the apple part comes from some apple liqueur or maybe even some apple brandy. We uh, put in a couple of... Uh, a couple ounces of tonic water, rim the glass with sugar, and um, put an apple garnish on it. And we have Snow White's poisonous apple teeny. So mm. I thought that would be a, I thought that would be fun of uh, that'd be kind of fun for a an Orlando themed crime. Well, when we finally make it out to Disney World next, we'll have to you'll have to buy the stuff to make okay. us all one of those. Well, like and now, but especially, you know, when we mm -hmm. make it back out to Disney. Yes, the, the little tagline I found, feel like a princess with this delicious apple teeny. It might look blood red, but it's one of the sweetest cocktails around. One for lovers of all things, fruity and sweet. Mm. I do not need that drink to make me feel like a princess, but maybe maybe it'll... Maybe it'll make me feel like a queen. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk more about how how covered in the media this case was. Mm -hmm. Because it was probably the first one. I mean, OJ was the year I was born. So this, do you think this was like the first big one that I would have a shot at remembering? I'm guessing, yeah. 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 You know, and again, I think, I think because it had it all, it had the, it had the family connection, it had the pure, innocent little three-year-old child, and the mother who just was not a um, sympathetic defendant at all. So it, it's almost as if it were made for uh, television. Mm -hmm. You know, if this hadn't happened, I'm sure that there would have been a Hallmark uh, movie about a case like it anyway so mm -hmm. what i found interesting was even though it was in 2008 like the the previous trials of the century that we talk about mm -hmm. were really before there was a lot on tv but 2008 i mean i was big time for like reality tv and yeah yeah 
but still people watched this like hawks like people were so invested and then when the verdicts were read or when the verdict was read people were mad like oh, all yeah. over the world people were really mad why do you think that was was it because of the victim or was it because well, let's just put it out there was it because casey anthony was not was not a uh, sympathetic defendant what made him so mad do you think i think when a child dies and a mother doesn't react the way that you think she should react the way that society thinks she should react society gets mad mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the the bad part about that is that no one knows how they're going to react when something like that happens. Yeah. Because it doesn't happen to everybody. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think that's a big part of it. And it's a white little girl who died. I mean, as we've said many times, well, of course, any child that dies, people are going to be heated, especially if it's possible that that child was murdered. But people in this country are even more invested when that child is white or when that mm -hmm. victim is white it's just the way it seems to be and hopefully mm -hmm. hopefully in the very near future everyone will get recognized who died unjustly that's my thought yeah what do you think yeah i think i think that's it exactly as i said this this was just a made for tv movie that turned out to be real life mm -hmm. Well, and that's how this Gabby Petito one is working out. I mean, oh yeah, I, I'm sure there there are already uh, scripts in the making on this one. Yeah, and and I watched that body cam footage, and I know we're not here to talk about that case, but it's just so like like a movie, you know, the way he seems all nice, but you mm -hmm. don't really try. He seems kind of slimy too, you know. Anyway. Mm -hmm crazy when cases like that that are so like could be a movie are actual real life so mm -hmm. there was an analysis by the la times that found that more than 600 press passes were given to the local and national media and mm -hmm. cnn and nbc built two-story air-conditioned structures uh, across from the courthouse for reporters and crews and People Magazine had writers in court every day. Uh, ABC News also had a special called Crime and Punishment, the Casey Anthony story. So, I mean, they were just eating this up. Mm -hmm. Media was very involved. Uh, and then I got this from an article called The Casey Anthony Case and the Media Frenzy. What about all the others? By Randall Sheldon for the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. And he wrote, what is totally lost in all of this coverage and I barely scratched the surface, is one important and neglected fact. Yearly, more than 1,700 children die while in custody of their parents or other caretakers, either from abuse, neglect, or from murder. The LA Times has kept a running account of children who have died at the hands of their adult caretakers, either their actual parents or other caretakers, and in 2009 alone, at least 98 died. Their ages range from newborn children to 17 years old. What almost all of them had in common was their minority status, mostly Black or Hispanic, lower social class background, 11 whites and two Asian. 
Most were either murdered or died because of neglect and or abuse. Hmm. Lastly, in this section, do you remember Jose Baez from another case? No. Aaron Hernandez. Oh, okay. That's Aaron Hernandez's attorney. All right. Well, and th that's why they hired him because he got Casey Anthony off for, okay. this, for this big crime. So they figured he could do the same to Aaron. I did not. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I reckon when you said his name, I was like, I know that name. And that's why. Something I heard while through my research. So the nanny, the supposed nanny that didn't exist, Casey called Zanny. Uh-huh. Short for a name. What was the name? Zanita, I think. But it started with an X. So uh -huh. some people thought Casey would say Zanny the nanny because some people call Xanax Zanny. Uh-huh. And so she... It says, I'm sure this is just a cruel rumor, but people said that maybe she gave like half a Xanax to Casey to get her calmed down while she, while she had friends over or something and called it Zanny the nanny when she did that. I had not heard that one. I, I do know that I, what I heard was that she had, she'd seen a, a card or an advertisement for this nanny. Mm -hmm. And because the name was so unorthodox, uh, just decided, you know, in a moment of panic, I'll just say she was with her nanny and her nanny was mm -hmm. uh, this person. And uh, yeah, who knows? She she was very much a liar. Casey? I found, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what got her in trouble in the first place. Mm -hmm. She said she worked at Universal Studios and the police said, where did you work? And she said, well, I don't remember the name of the name of the building or whatever. And so they started taking her around to Universal Studios. Was it here? Was it here? Yeah, it was in this building. And they go in there. I've never seen her before. And, uh, you know, finally she admitted, no, I used to work here, but I got fired years ago. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, she she does have or did have a problem telling the truth. And, of course, Baez said, well, that's because she's been lying all her life to protect her father. Hmm. I don't know. You know, let me uh, let me play play attorney for a minute. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just read an excerpt from uh, closing arguments of both uh, uh, Baez and uh, the lead prosecutor, Linda Burdick. So pretend like you're in the jury and, and you've heard all this evidence and there is no direct evidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing. There are no fingerprints. There's no DNA. Um, there's contradictory stories from everybody in this thing. And of course, Casey Anthony you know, didn't testify. Um, and so here's some, so this is, this is a little bit of, of bias argument. Now, my biggest fear, ladies and gentlemen, is you are going to base your verdict on emotions, not evidence. The strategy behind the prosecution's case is this. If you hate her, if you think she's a lying, no good slut, then you'll start to look at this evidence in a different light. I told you at the very beginning that this was an accident that snowballed out of control. What made it unique is not what happened, but who it happened to. And then 
The prosecutor, Linda Burdick, says, my biggest fear is that common sense will be lost in all the rhetoric of the case. Responses to guilt are oh so predictable. What do guilty people do? They lie. They avoid. They run. They mislead. They divert attention away from themselves and act like nothing is wrong. What do you think? If you're on the jury, which, which, which of those arguments seems most credible to you? I think the defense, because there wasn't enough. I don't think there's enough evidence to say that she killed Kaylee in cold blood. I mean, I know mm -hmm. there's not. I do think an accident happened and she was scared and is still lying about it. I, I do think it's possible there was sexual abuse in her past. And that's why she has trouble. Like, that's why her emotional intelligence seems to be kind of low. Uh, and I, you know, we need to believe survivors. And so I believe her about that. But um, yeah, I think, I, I do think though that the verdict should have at least convicted her of some sort of, I don't know the right term, but when you kill someone accidentally, like you still get in trouble. That would be manslaughter, involuntarily right. man, involuntary manslaughter. But that wasn't one of the uh, that wasn't one of the options. They Why? Had. Well, you know, some people have said this, kind of like the OJ case. This this case was not prosecuted well. That they, you know, the the state just thought, and I think the state did think. We're going to put we're going to put not only the mother's actions on trial, we're going to put the mother's character and past and history on trial. And no one's going to believe that, as as Baez called her, this no good slut uh, didn't do it. You know, and I think they they could have looked at lesser. They, they call them a lesser included, maybe make involuntary manslaughter one of the uh, one of the options. I think they, they might have been able to convict her on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was no evidence for first degree murder here. That mm -hmm. requires premeditation, and you know there just wasn't any. Um, now, here's something that I read. It seems to make some sense to me that with the proliferation of all the crime shows on television now, like NCIS, you know, how many NCIS shows do we have now? Four mm -hmm. or five? A billion. I have no idea. I don't watch you that. know, but in in all these shows, you have these crime scene investigators who, you know, they'll find fingerprints, they'll find DNA, they'll find something. And that a lot of people now just assume, well, if there's been a murder, there's going to be some hard forensic evidence out there. And that's not the case. There isn't always forensic evidence, but so many people watch TV, they see these crimes, they read the true crime books, they listen to people like us that they think, well, yeah, if there's no evidence, there was no crime. No. Circumstantial evidence is good evidence. Mm -hmm. um, and there's certainly circumstantial evidence that someone knew what happened to Kaylee, whether it was an accident or not. Little girls don't end up in garbage bags in the woods by accident uh, <laughs> right and uh, you know I, I think i think the evidence probably points to something happened with with kaylee and casey at some point that probably was an accident i think casey probably thought well yeah nobody's gonna believe me 
Mm-hmm. I don't well, have she the was best young and a young. single yeah. mom. I mean, whose parents she probably feels like she can't trust if if she did indeed get abused by her dad. I mean, you can't really go to them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because yeah. I mean, right? Because she doesn't trust them, so mm-hmm. she didn't really have anyone. Yeah. The judge said after the case was over, a few years afterwards, uh, the judge said, no, I don't. So I, I think it was a correct verdict. Uh, there, I said, I, I, didn't see, I didn't see any evidence for murder. He said, I'll tell you what I think happened. I think she tried to put her little girl to sleep with a little bit of chloroform and, and she died. Gave her <laughs> too much. She panicked and hit her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the judge who, who sat there and listened to all the evidence, he didn't believe. That, that there was enough evidence for murder. Uh, they've interviewed jurors later, and most of them have said the same thing. We, we think something happened, but the state just didn't prove its case. They didn't even prove that a murder happened, much less that she did it. Now, one juror has changed his mind. He said, he said, I got pressured, and I wish I would have stuck to my guns. But the original vote in the jury room was 10 to 2 to acquit. And then they looked at it for 10 hours, and finally the two holdouts changed their vote. So, you know, they, they didn't, this, for the jury, this wasn't a close case at all. Mm-hmm. Because from a juror's standpoint, if you convict without good evidence, then there's a risk you're locking someone up for their whole life when they didn't do anything. That's true. And, and as we know, that never, ever happens. That in has the never States. happened. No, ever. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, this is the best country ever. It's just unthinkable <laughs> to think that that could possibly, possibly happen. Well, it um, doesn't often happen to certain people and it does happen a lot to other people, but that's yeah. a whole other issue. Now, yeah, the other thing that's, that we ought to think about is, uh, even though this case ended in 2008, it's not, it's not over. There have been numerous lawsuits filed by a lot of people involved in this case from, from Ray Cronk, the meter man. He sued a def, he sued uh, Anthony and her attorneys for defamation. Uh, I think the nanny filed a lawsuit. Uh, just uh, hope we don't get sued for this one. Yeah. <laughs> It's all right. If we have an attorney. We, if we do, I'll let you have it. I, I'm not licensed anymore. Oh, right. Darn it. That, so. <laughs> well, you know people. Yes. Okay. Um, in fact, I just I just found out Casey Anthony was in the news just a few months ago. Uh, she went into a bar somewhere in, in Florida, in, in the Orlando area, and she said somebody threw a drink at her. And uh, the mm-hmm. person said, no, I just accidentally spilled my drink. So she filed a police report. And uh, so she's still around. She also has formed a new company. She now considers herself a private investigator. Hmm. So she and, and some guy have uh, formed their own PI company. Is so. it the, is it Patrick McKenna? I believe it is, yes. And he was a PI on her case. Yeah. She yeah. also tried to start a photography business five years yeah. ago, but yeah. people were sending inquiries about the case and not about photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is writing a book about mm-hmm. her life, and she mm-hmm. did make a movie about her life 
but it didn't get a ton of traction and then COVID really like killed it. So it's probably yeah. never going to come out. I, I yeah. don't think, um, I don't think there are a ton of people who are on Casey's side. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that a movie that she made about the case would go over well with the public personally. And I'm not, I mean, like I said, well, if we want to get into what we think happened, I think the judge's theory is probably the best. Yeah. I don't think she drowned in a swimming pool. Mm-mm. I think she was with her mother and it was an accident, but a child's dead. And uh, that's, you know, again, like all the cases we do, we can't ever forget that. We have a little three-year-old girl mm-hmm. who, uh, who did not get to uh, ever go to ever go to kindergarten, ever go to uh, ever get to play soccer, um, ever get to do gymnastics, or or go to a prom. Mm-hmm. I I do think that things happened to Casey to affect her judgment mm-hmm. because obviously, if let's say. Kaylee didn't die, her mother putting chloroform over her mouth is not an okay thing to do. So, I mean, I don't know. I I do think something happened to Casey, and I think that's why she's not, she didn't react the way that people expected her to react when her daughter died. I think she has a lot of trauma in her past, and hopefully she has gone to therapy is continuing therapy or will go or something. And um, I think that explains a lot of what people don't like about the way she responded to this horrific situation. And it didn't. Yeah. And one thing the prosecution made a big uh, point of during the trial was that she went out and got a tattoo two weeks after uh, Kaylee disappeared uh, that said beautiful life. Uh, Hmm. Not smart. I just think she dissociates herself from a lot of things. That's what I think. But I'm not a therapist, so. That's right. I like to think I am, but I'm not. (laughs) Anything else to add? I don't have anything else to add to this fascinating, but ultimately tragic and sad case. Mm -hmm. Me neither. Let me see what we have going on next week. Hmm. I don't know this one, but I will watch the Netflix documentary before we do okay. it. Son what of Sam. It? Oh yeah, that's a big one. I don't know anything about this one. Well, I'll be interested because we're uh, we're we're going into another weird guy, and we're going into some occult stuff. Oh yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I do like to learn about cults. I don't like to be in them. Well, I've never been in one but I, I don't plan on it. I, so. I didn't say cult. I said occult. Oh, like like ghosts and stuff. Like Devil witches. Worship. Devil yes. worship. Okay, I was getting closer. Yes, you were. Okay. O-C-C-U-L-T. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes, thank you. We will have see a, you next week. Have a good weekend, and we will uh, see everybody. Bye. Bye. This has been Cocktails of Crime and Fashion. If you're enjoying our show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. 
Join our VIP Facebook group, Cocktails of Crime and Fashion VIP, to discuss cocktails, crime, and fashion, and to watch exclusive video content. Follow us on Instagram at Cocktails of Crime and Fashion. We also have merch. There's a link in the episode notes. Cocktails of Crime and Fashion was written and produced by Mike Norland and Macy Norland Burkett. Our editor is Don Bailey at pretendmachine.com. Thank you to Alex Joaquim for composing our theme music and to Kaylee Bitter for designing our cover art. 